The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Well, here we are, 0-6, and that elusive first victory has managed to evade Zach Taylor for yet another week. My name is Matt Minnick. This is Bengals Chalk Talk here on Orange and Black Insider. Thank you for joining me today, although uh, being a Bengals fan definitely isn't getting any easier. Uh, We did, however, see one great play, really the the play of the week from the Ravens matchup is pretty clear, and that's what we're going to start off talking about today. Uh, it was the first play of the game. Uh, it is the uh, kickoff return that Brandon Wilson uh, took to the house, 92 yards. Uh, so first thing to talk about with this. Now, it's important to understand just, just for the verbiage and as I'm explaining it, uh, when you look at a kickoff team, uh, you always want to number them from the outside in. And it's a bit, you know, it kind of goes back to how the rules used to be that you could you could put a bunch of people on one side of the kicker. You can't really do that anymore. Uh, but that's why it's important you go from outside in uh, because otherwise you could end up missing somebody. Uh, but, uh, so looking at that, you start on the left-hand side and you've got the, the L1, right, from the uh, kickoff return team's uh, point of view. That's the L1, then the L2, L3, L4, L5. On the other side of the ball, the other side of the kicker, uh, is the R5, the R4, the R3, the R2, and the R1. So to start off with, the first thing you have on the kickoff return team, the first group of players you have are the front line. Uh, We're going to call them tackles, guards, and centers. There's six of them in total. Uh, And those players are going to be responsible uh, for blocking six players on the kickoff team. So first, uh, the left tackle, all right? So the tackles are all lined uh, right about the 50-yard line. Excuse me, the whole front line is right about the 50-yard line. So Stanley Morgan's the left tackle. He's going to drop back into the inside, and he's going to block out on the L2, all right, since this is uh, a middle return, all right? Uh, The left guard just inside of him and on the top of the numbers uh, is Leroy Reynolds, He is going to drop back inside of the L3 to black out on the L3. 
the left center inside of him, uh, just a little bit outside of the hash, is uh, Clayton Fedulum. And he is going to drop back and inside to block out on the L4. On the other side, we've got the right center, uh, right on about the hash mark. He is going to drop back and block out on the R4. So we're starting to really kick players out of the middle of the field, trying to get everybody outside of the hash in order to open up this return lane. The right guard is Jermaine Pratt. He's going to drop back and kick out on the R3. And then a little bit of a change here. The right tackle, Damian Willis, he drops back and blocks out. Uh, but he's actually going to leave the R2, and he is going to block out on the R4. All right? So that's what that's where Willis is coming in, uh, and that's what he is, he is doing. And those are the front-line responsibilities. So now uh, they have left, outside of the kicker, four players unblocked. That's the L1, the L5, the R5, and the R2. And they've got four uh, blockers remaining. Now, the L1, uh, they're going to let him go. And he actually kind of runs right past the play. So that must have been something that uh, Darren Simmons, you know, scouting off the, up this kickoff team, uh, for some reason knew that the L1 wasn't going to be a problem, but the R1 would be. So they're blocking the R1. They're actually going to let the L1 go. Uh, the next group of players on the return team that we'll look at, uh, we're going to call the ends. All right. They both happen to be tight ends. Uh, and that's Carter and Sample. So uh, they, the ends are located uh, about seven yards or so behind the front line and right in between the tackle and guard on the front line. Uh, so Carter on the left and Sample on the right. Now they're going to drop back and they are going to double team the R5. Now they've done a lot of rules lately where you can't do a wedge. You can't have two guys coming together. Uh, so I, I, and I think that this kind of avoids that rule because they never really come together. Uh, you've got Carter dropping back and eyeing up the R5 uh, to his inside, and you've got Sample dropping back and eyeing up the R5 to his outside, and they converge on the man. They never come together themselves uh, and track him together uh, like you would in a wedge, in a two-man wedge. Uh, they you know, converge on him separately. Uh, so I believe that's the distinction that makes that a legal block. Uh, and then in the back, we've got the two fullbacks. All right, Samaje Pirine on the left and Andrew Brown on the right. Pirine is going to go all the way across the uh, field, and he's going to block out on that R2. Uh, and then that leaves uh, just the L5. So uh, we double teamed the R5. Uh, only one player left to block that L5, but he's the biggest guy in the field. You know, Andrew Brown, uh, probably somebody that most people are surprised to see playing special teams, especially on kickoff return team. You don't think about a, a big D lineman like that on the kickoff return team. You don't, you're not used to seeing number 93 back there. Uh, so they, they're taking a, you know, a big physical guy, uh, but who has the athletic ability to move around space, and they're going to have him on that L5. So he makes a great block on the L5, which sets up the running lane for Brandon Wilson to head up the middle. He cuts inside of Brown's block and then gradually kind of fades off to the left side. So um, excellent return. Uh, and it's not just about Wilson. You know, Wilson does a great job. All right. Shows speed, athletic ability, all the things we've been talking about this guy having. Uh, but 
it's not just about him. This is an excellent scheme and great execution. And man, are those things that we'd like to say more about the Bengals on offense and defense. Uh, but unfortunately, we haven't been able to. Uh, but great job here, you know, coaching, scouting, and then coaching them up to be ready to go with this. Uh, you know, Wilson gets the ball, heads straight up the middle. Good block by Andrew Brown. And he, uh, you know, he cuts inside of that block and then uh, gets up to the double team uh, by uh, Carter and Sample. Uh, and then fades off to the left side. All right, that's that's how you look for guys when they're when they're being pursued. You always kind of want to fade away from it. You don't want to run into uh, you know a completely straight line. Uh, that's going to help with the pursuit. And you know Brandon Wilson does an excellent job on that return. Definitely a great thing to see. Um, and you know uh, this is a guy who who needs to be getting some some more burn for this this team. Uh, he actually played and uh, a good amount on defense this week and looked really good. Um, Jermaine Pratt. Uh, you know, a few other bright spots for this team. Jermaine Platt, Pratt played more defense than he's played uh, his entire career, uh, all year. Uh, he got 31 reps. Uh, the most he had gotten previously uh, was 12. So he had 31 snaps uh, in that amount of time. Uh, that's about 40%, a little bit less than 40% of the snaps. He had 60, excuse me, he had six tackles. Um, so, you know, good. You know, good job there. That was third on the team in tackles, uh, and in a low number of snaps. Uh, he had more tackles than Preston Brown in significantly less snaps. So that is a dude they need to get on the field. If you would like more detail on Pratt to hear a little bit more about the game he had, make sure you check out my article this week, uh, my film room on Cincy Jungle. Uh, got some great clips of some of his top plays there, showing why. That dude needs to be on the field. Uh, he can be part of the answer uh, to the linebacker question. Uh, and then the other guy, and, and you know, it's been talked about all week, but it's Auden Tate. You know, uh, he's a guy that uh, Dalton is starting to trust, uh, and he's getting the ball through quite a bit. Uh, he had five catches, and every single one of them was absurd. Uh, so you know, the Bengals. Don't have a lot of guys that can really create separation, uh, but they they've got some guys that can. Uh, they can make some dirty catches. Uh, and Auden Tate is one of those guys, obviously a guy that a lot of people are big, big fans of, uh, you know, or have been in the past. So uh, definitely, a, a, you know, good to see him doing that. And I'm sure a lot of people are very, very happy uh, that their their takes on Tate are correct or have been pr- proven correct thus far. So we're not going to focus too much on the Ravens game because, like I said, it's getting awfully repetitive. Uh, they're really not fixing a lot of the problems they have. Uh, so it's the same things week in and week out that I'm seeing on film. Uh, but we are going to talk about a little bit in the context of some things that they can do well uh, and you know, these being things that they can use uh, against the Denver Broncos. Uh, so – the Bengals uh, have not been able to run the ball the majority of the season. The only time they were able to run the ball at all was against the Cardinals. Uh, and personally, I believe that's, that's because of the strength of the Cardinals front. Uh, it's, it was not a strength. You know, uh, I think that the other defensive fronts they faced are much better. Uh, I don't think the Jaguars are great up front. Uh, they got some good pass rushers. I don't think they're great against the run. Uh, but, I don't know if they're bad enough for the Bengals to really be able to uh, to run the ball against them. Uh, so I'm not relying on that. But Joe Mixon needs to get the ball. 
Uh, and that's a big thing about like, it's a pretty basic tenant, but you got to get your playmakers the ball. All right. When you're, when you're uh, setting up an offensive game plan, you know, get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. And not only that, get them the ball in a position where they can do something with it. Uh, so here we're, you know, we'll, we'll look at a play that they ran against the Ravens. Uh, in the second quarter it was a first and 10 play, uh, you know, and it's uh, about five minutes, 36 seconds left in the uh, half. Uh, and they were on the 30-yard line. They came out in a two-by-two uh, two set. They actually had like a tight end and a wing uh, to the right and two receivers stacked to the left, all right? Uh, they run a great tailback screen here to Mixon. Now, why was it great? I mean, it was great because of Joe Mixon, honestly. You know, last week they ran a screen that was really successful uh, because they got the line out and, you know, they had some really good blocking on it. This week, not so much. Uh, the line gets out late. They struggled to get off of that D line. Um, you know, Billy Price at left guard gets out there, Looks like he doesn't really want to touch anybody. Looks like he doesn't know what to do, uh, which may have been wise because uh, Alex Redman comes screaming in from the right guard position and has one of the most clear-cut block in the backs I've ever seen, literally within five yards of an official. Don't know how that one was missed, but glad it was. Uh, And, uh, you know, Hopkins kind of gets out there a a little bit late as well. So, um, you know, he didn't, he doesn't block a soul either. So Mixon, however, is, is Joe Mixon, you know, and he's out there doing Joe Mixon stuff and he is able to turn that into a 23 yard game, you know, a really good positive play for the Bengals. Um, you gotta, you gotta feed this guy the ball. Uh, even if you're not executing in other areas, get him in space, uh, give him the opportunity to make a play and he's going to be able to make those plays. Uh, so get the ball to Joe Mixon screens uh, is a huge part of that, you know, to get the ball to Mixon and to your other playmakers, you can definitely utilize the screen game. So I broke down uh, four games, looked at four different games on the Jaguars. uh, And, you know, really the one that stuck out to me, the one that I think you can take the most from is their matchup with the Broncos. Uh, The Broncos also not a very good football team, Uh, you know, Kind of starting to put some stuff together now, and they played them close. Uh, they were very close to the end of the game. We'll, we'll look at that uh, later on. Uh, but, you know, the Bengals, we just talked about the tailback screen. They like to do that tailback screen. They like to do it off of a play action. They like to do it off of a jet motion action to really get the action going away. Uh, and the Broncos ran a screen uh, off of the jet motion where they actually threw it back to their tight end. Uh, who It was a tight end screen uh, to Fant. Uh, the rookie, and uh, you know they they got it to him off of that jet motion. He was the he was the jet man. Uh, so this plays really well into some of the things that the Bengals have been doing. Uh, they came out in a two by two formation, you know, motion fan in, and then he kind of ran across. So you can you could definitely work that off of uh, the jet action. This isn't quite the jet action with what he what he really does. It's more of a swipe action, the type of stuff you'll see out of a tight end. Uh, but that's something you could do with a Tyler Eifert. We've been trying to figure out how do they get him the ball? Why don't they give him the ball? Um, you know, we can't be afraid of getting him hurt. We're, we're not saving him for the playoffs at this point. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's something they could do with him. Uh, you know, certainly something they could do with any of their receivers. It'd be nice to see with Alex Erickson uh, as a kickoff return guy. He is used to reading those types of blocks in space. 
so he's a guy that you know, uh, you know, is able to able to do those things and could turn into a big play. Uh, so Flacco uh, throws it to Fant, uh, and Fant turns it into a 25-yard touchdown. Again, an opportunity for the Bengals to do something like this. We see that the, they're susceptible to screens. They're definitely going to be susceptible to screens because guess what? You face the Bengals and and you're a pass rusher. You are looking forward to facing the Bengals right now, and you're thinking about the numbers you're going to put up. So there are going to be opportunities uh, in the screen game because uh, those guys are really going to be teeing off. Uh, so yeah, you can you can get to mix it, but you can you can work off of that jet action, work off of some swipe action, and uh, get it to to Tyler Eifert or to some of these receivers as well. All right, so something else that the Bengals did against the Ravens, uh, their first play of the second quarter uh, was 14 48 on the clock they just got the ball back uh, in the second quarter they had first and 10 on the 25 yard line they came out uh, shotgun the mix into the right and they had a uh, an h-back and a receiver real tight to the right uh, and that was uzama was the h-back and uh, alex erickson was the receiver and they had two receivers stacked to the left so they send uh they sent uh, Tyler Boyd in motion, uh, and really what they're doing here, they're creating a bunch. So creating a bunch and being able to run bunch concept plays without really declaring a bunch uh, by having actually three receivers sitting there at the edge, uh, you, you know that's a that's a method that um, you know that, that offensive coordinators will use so they can run their bunch concept uh, plays and routes without having the defense have the opportunity to really adjust to it. Um, and, you know, you can do that with the back, with just with the back's alignment uh, as well. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but this motion does that. All right. So, you know, Boyd is coming in motion as the ball is snapped. Uh, and he just kind of runs out, out towards the sideline. So what they do here, it's a basic, uh, you know, we call it a star concept where there's uh, – they're basically all hitching up. I mean, Boyd's really to the flat more so. Uh, but you get a couple of hitches and guys coming across each other. So, uh, you know, Boyd runs to the flat. Uh, you have Erickson uh, coming into the middle uh, and hitching up kind of over the quarterback. And then you've got Uzama releasing wide uh, and, and uh, hitching up. So, you know, it creates this situation where you've got a few different hitches. Um, the motion – Messed with the defense here. Uh, you know, the Ravens' defensive communication was was an issue for them. Uh, and we'll take a look at a play a little bit later where you're going to see uh, motion causing a problem for the Jaguars defensively as well. Uh, but, it, you know, it allows them to run this stuff. Uh, and Uzama uh, makes the catch and gains 22 yards. So, you know, that's really using scheme, using formation and motion to get a player open. Uh, and, you know, a really, uh, you know, really good smart play by the Bengals who you haven't seen use formation and motion to get players open uh, really nearly enough. All right, so looking back at that matchup against the Broncos. So the Broncos, uh, late in the first quarter, uh, they had a third down situation. It was actually third and seven. uh, And they came out with uh, a tight end and a receiver to the right uh, and two receivers to the left. Uh, Flacco was in the shotgun, and he had his running back, Royce Freeman, to his left uh, by the, those twin receivers. Uh, so they actually did something similar to get into a bunch-ish look, 
without actually being in bunch uh, and and to take advantage of, of, of some of those concepts and run something kind of similar schematically to the to the uh, to the star route. So they took their widest receiver, motioned him in uh, to just inside of of the guy who was originally the slot, and that guy worked his way across the field. Uh, the orig- the the wider receiver when the ball was snapped, he ran to the corner. All right, so you got that outside receiver eventually run to the corner. You got the motion man running into the slant. And really, this is just the same as that star concept. What are we doing? We are clearing out space inside and out so we can put a guy in the middle, clear out a little bit of space there for him. Uh, remember, I, I said before, you can use an offset back, uh, fullback, running back, doesn't matter. An offset back can you know essentially make a formation a bunch. Uh, he can be that, that third guy in the bunch because his alignment allows him to release uh, quickly. Um, and, and really, in this in this case, the fact that he's a little bit delayed because he's in the backfield is actually better. It helps it set up. It helps clear out some space. Uh, so Freeman is offset to that twin side. All right, you get the motion man running the slant. You get the other receiver uh, running the uh, the deep out or uh, or corner route, and uh, that opens it up for Royce Freeman. He circles around uh, and he breaks. He actually breaks to the inside where he catches it about where it would be for a hitch. Uh, and this Jaguars defense. You don't want to throw it to the outside on them, but they are susceptible and stuff over the middle. So this is really smart use of scheme, uh, and it's a great way to get to the ball to somebody in the middle. This would be another example of how get the ball to Joe Mixon, get it to him in space, allow him to make plays. You can do the same thing with Gio Bernard. All right, They can both run this play and be great uh, so they can get the ball in their hands and make some plays. Third and seven, they're throwing a short pass and gaining 15 yards and getting this first down. Uh, so because he's able to rack it so much, uh, you know, run after the catch and gain so many additional yards on this. So this is an awesome, uh, awesome play here by the Broncos. So we are, uh, you know, really Joe Flacco and the, and the Broncos, they, they did this a lot. They worked the middle of the field quite a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in the third act here of the show uh, as we, uh, you know, finish up with uh, with our guests talking some Jaguars and come back around. Uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, the Broncos' final drive and how they were able to use the middle of the field to effectively move the ball downfield. Really, this is the Bengals need to be able to move the ball downfield effectively in the pass game, be real efficient with it, uh, and the Broncos really gave them a blueprint in this Week 4 matchup. So we're going to have to check that one out. All right, and as usual, uh, we're always looking to bring in an expert from the upcoming week's opponent. Uh, today, I am joined by Ryan Day of Big Cat Country. Uh, no, that is not your favorite country music station. Uh, that is SB Nation's Jaguars page. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing well. Um, so we're not going to be talking about Eric Church, is what you're saying? I, this is not, I mean, uh, I hope you're not asking me questions about Eric Church, because I, <laughs> I wouldn't have any answers for you. <laughs> he's a very famous but, uh, country uh, superstar. That, that's about the extent of my knowledge on, on, on that topic. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, what we will get into, uh, you know, one big name to talk about is uh, is Jalen Ramsey. Uh, so the big news this week, Jalen Ramsey uh, getting getting what he wanted and getting out. Uh, what is the mood in uh, in in the Big Cat Country? uh about this move for the jaguars um so the mood is actually 
pretty pretty divided. I would say that historically Jaguars fans have not dealt super well when um, players leave, good or bad. Um, Jalen's obviously much better than most who have left. Um, but there does tend to be a sense of uh, almost like an element of like personal offense to someone wanting to leave the Jaguars. Um, there, there's a really big um, element of like community around the Jaguars. And when someone doesn't like the Jaguars, it's almost equivalent to someone not liking Jacksonville. Um, and if you've ever been to Jacksonville or anyone's listening to this to, who has been to Jacksonville or knows someone who's uh, been to Jacksonville, they know that, you know, people in Jacksonville really hold that close to their identity. Like, I'm from Jacksonville. I'm a Jacksonvillian. So it's, it's you know, people are pretty angry at them. And I think, I think to an extent you can – you can justify why they're angry. It makes some sense because, I mean, he did this in, you know, after the second game of the season. Like, it's not like he did this four, four months before, before kickoff. He did it when, you know, you've got a six-round rookie as your backup and, um, and, and just starting out, you don't have Foles back for another, you know, nine or ten games. So they're, they're angry at that, but I think – I think a lot of people took it a step further and said, you know, oh, he, he just hates this city or he hates this organization. And I don't think that's the case. I think he has a lot of respect for his teammates, the coaches, and the organization, but his frustrations really lie with, with one man, and, that, and that's Tom Coughlin. I got you. You know, it, it's interesting because Coughlin, you know, is the, the guy that came in to, to change things. Um, and, you know, it definitely seems like, the the Jags haven't adopted the um, old school values uh, that you might have expected uh, from a Tom Coughlin team, and I know the the Bengals job uh, looked like it was a, possibly going to open up, uh, you know, about the time that that uh, Coughlin headed to Jacksonville, uh, and he was a guy with with some of the discipline uh, and you know just overall looseness, uh, you know, issues. Uh, in Cincinnati, um, you know, I was I was kind of hoping he might still be interested in coaching, and I thought that might be a good move for them. Uh, this was prior to the uh, we have to hire a guy who's in his twenties revolution in the NFL. Uh, right. So, um, exactly. you, you know, uh, outside of of uh, you know drafting a big bruiser running back in the top five, uh, you know, what what type of changes do you think have occurred from from uh, the time Coughlin arrived and? Um, I mean, do you think Ramsey makes a good point, or you know, I don't want to. I'm not trying to make you draw a line in the sand here, but um, you, you know, is it is it something that Ramsey just couldn't be with what's um, going to move them forward, or you know, what's the disconnect there? You think? So, imagine if you will that you have one of the the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, let's call him Blake. I, I'm, just, I, I tell I'm you, I tell you what, I'm there. But okay. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Not as bad as not as bad as Mr. Dalton. Um, this is this is a this is you know hypothetical Blake. You've got a okay. sub subpar quarterback uh, Blake. Um, you've got some other players who are average at best. And you're a young player. You're one of the best at your position. Um, maybe the second year that you're there, you're oh, I don't know, voted first-team All-Pro, uh, you're a Pro Bowl player, and 
you see after that these average um, players and this quarterback named, again, hypothetically Blake. Um, given contract extensions, upwards of, I don't know, $10 million a year, $15 million a year, $20 million a year, and you are sitting back, you as one of the better players on the team, if not the best player on the team, um, you've got your friends, uh, oh, I don't know, like let's say a defensive end uh, named Unique, and you see that Tom Coughlin, who heads this front office, is playing hardball with you, one of the best at your position, your friend Unique, again, a Pro Bowl player, um, one of the best at his position, playing hardball with you, kind of lowballing you, giving you, frankly, insulting contract extension offers while throwing money at um, average to sub-average players that you share a locker room with. Um, that's going to rub you the wrong way, uh, especially if you're as much of a competitor as uh, Jalen is. And I think that's exactly what happened. Tom Coughlin is hes a meddler, and he's very authoritarian. Um, but he, he's not, and he's, he's incredibly detail-oriented, but he really doesn't have a structure of how contract extensions work uh, with the Jaguars. And so you see this, and you see your friends who are not, they're good, but they're not as good as you that the Jaguars are playing hardball with, and you're like, you know what, my rookie contract is almost done. I don't really want to go through with that, and so... I'd really rather go somewhere else where maybe the path to a lucrative contract extension is a little more clear. Maybe there's a clearer vision, something of that nature. But I think the frustration just boils down to a, a, a lack of clarity of, you know, why are some players who aren't as good as me and my friends getting money and me and my friends who are better are kind of dragged over the coals? Yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting, too, because uh... – you know, Coughlin coming from a coaching role uh, where he had some help in the front office. Um, you know, not sure what his involvement with that stuff was previously, but you can see where the, uh, you know, the tough old school, hey, you're going to do things my way, uh, can be effective on the field, but once you start involving people's bank accounts, uh, that gets a, a little bit dicier. So, I, 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 yeah, I, see, I definitely see what you're saying there. Well, and, and to speak to Coughlin's experience as a front office guy, when he was hired in 1994 to be the first coach of the Jaguars, he was also the GM, and he kept that position until he was fired in 2002. So he has a wealth of experience as a general manager, and when you look at his track record the first time around as the GM or as the head of the front office um, with the Jaguars, the biggest reason he was fired was because he just ran them into salary cap hell. I mean, like, he hmm. caused this team to be one of – to, like, after, the year after he left was the worst roster in Jacksonville Jaguars history. I would argue it was worse than the inaugural season roster. And it's because, I mean, he just – he spent big and he missed on too many guys. And he drafted horribly. I mean, you look at the late 90s drafts and you've got guys like Fernando Bryant, R.J. Soward. I mean, like – you don't know these guys if you're outside of Jacksonville, but, you know, Tom Coughlin spent big and, and, and invested huge draft picks on them. So Tom Coughlin does not have a good track record when it comes to um, managing a front office. 
and he's not running the he's not running the team into the ground salary cap wise this time around, but he's running the team into the ground in terms of locker room dynamics, in terms of organizational instability. So he's doing it in a he's just making different mistakes that lead to the same endpoint, and you know, it just really stinks as a Jaguars fan. So, you know, the Jags have kind of been built around their defense uh, for the past few years, and Ramsey, obviously, a huge part of that. Um, you know, where, where does that leave them, and, and kind of, you know, what is their identity now without Ramsey uh, and, and with where they're at overall as a defense? Well, I think that, I think that where they are as a defense is largely um, – where they were coming into the season, even with Ramsey, you know, you've got AJ Boye on the outside. You've got DJ Hayden, who honestly is one of the better free agent signings we've had in a while. He's their nickel cornerback, but the focus of this defense is, is not on the secondary. It's certainly not on the linebackers because I mean, God knows if you're tight in, if the Bengals tight ends like are able to run eight yard outs, um, or if your wide receivers are able to run like crossing patterns, like, I mean, you're going to get a first down in every play. But the, the heart and soul of the <laughs> yeah, we'll, defense... We'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be covering that in the third act of this podcast, by the way, but go on. <laughs> okay. Um, so the heart and soul of this defense is the defensive line. We spent real big there. We gave uh, Goliath Campbell um, a big contract a couple of years ago. Uh, Unique is... Uh, he's a third-round guy, but, I mean, he's, he's probably the most talented edge rusher that they have. We spent a first-round pick on Josh Allen. Um, we just let him go, but we spent big on Malik Jackson a few years ago. Um, Marcel Darius, like, we, we gave up a draft pick to, to get him from the Bills. And so and, and we've got some rotational guys who are, who are very, very good. Um, so, really, the, the focus of this defense is the defensive line. And the reason that the defense, I think, has underperformed is because they're just not getting pressure. They're always, like, a half second away. And so that affects your secondary because your secondary has a half second less, you know, uh, or has a half second more time that they need to cover the wide receiver. Um, the linebackers are losing tight ends and running backs in space. Um, and so it's just kind of this snowball effect where a good defense has the defensive line and secondary playing off of one another, where the cornerbacks are holding their, their coverage for, you know, as long, just, just long enough for Josh Allen or unique to get to get home or, or vice versa. And so it's just, it, it's a, it's really on the cusp of this Jaguars defense getting back to where it was, but it's not there yet. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully it stays in the cusp for another week because uh, <laughs> the Bengals uh, offensive line uh, has seen better days. Uh, not in a while, but uh, they've definitely seen better days. So, uh, you know, this is uh, something going to have to give between those those two units this week. Um, now, you, you mentioned uh, about spending a lot of money. Uh, the uh, the Jags went out in the offseason and spent a good amount of money uh, in replacing uh, the hypothetical guy named Blake uh, with a hypothetical uh, broken clavicle named Nick. So uh, very, you know, very interesting. They, they They make this investment. They go out there. Uh, and and Foles goes down in game one, and in comes uh, cult hero uh, Gardner Minshew with his jorts and his mustache and his extremely high completion percentage. 
Uh, and, you know, to be honest, watching this film, uh, his incredible throws into the side pocket deep. Uh, what, uh, how's, how's everybody feeling in Jacksonville about the future of that quarterback position? Uh, are we going to have a controversy when, when, uh, when old Nick comes back? I think that if I, not to overstate this, but I really think this week against the Bengals is a very, very important game for Gardner Minshew's development because something I wrote about at BigCatCountry.com is that franchise quarterbacks, like quarterbacks that you build a team around that the Jaguars have not had in 10, 15 years, those types of guys rebound very quickly. They get right very quickly after a terrible game like Gardner had last week against the, the Saints. Like this week, I think it's going to be very important for Gardner to, to come out. He doesn't have to have like a gangbusters game. He doesn't have to, you know, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 75% completion percentage. He doesn't have to do that, but he just has to do what he did before, which was, um, you know, not make any bad throws. He, he had his first interception last week. That was definitely his fault. He has to at least look like he's on the same page with the, with the receivers. If anyone saw the, the Jaguar Saints highlights, I mean, Gardner looked like he didn't even practice the week before. So the, the, the mood in Jacksonville around Gardner is let's see how he responds to adversity, to his first, like, truly bad game where it was like, hey, you know what? This loss is, like, on you. Um, let's see how he responds to it. I think if Gardner goes out there and he gets, you know, 250 yards, a touchdown or two, 70% completion percentage, everyone in that locker room is going to be like, this is the guy, coaches included. And they're going to say, you know what, Nick Foles, like, you don't, you're not going to bring him in because, you know, after he heals because that's going to ruin the locker room. If he comes out this week and he has another 50% completion game, if he throws another interception, if he doesn't have any touchdowns, if he's looking off, uh, in terms of timing with DJ Chark or Chris Conley, that's when you're going to start to say, okay, the sixth-round guy has, has come back down to earth. He's crashed down back to earth. It looks like he's not quite ready yet. So, you know, I don't think anyone in Cincinnati really knows that narrative. I don't know if a lot of Jacksonville people, like, are kind of seeing it that way, but that's how I'm seeing this Sunday's game is, this is very big to see how Gardner Minshew responds to adversity and very poor games. Yeah, well, you know, I, I realize the NFL obviously puts the schedule in place and, and they did this month, months in advance. But if you were Jacksonville and you wanted to schedule a get-right game uh, for Gardner Minshew, the Bengals' defense without William Jackson, without Drake Kirkpatrick, and with uh, Darquez Dennard possibly returning. Well, can I, can yeah, I ask ahead. you a question about the uh, Bengals secondary yeah. just real quick? So if you had to you – know, forget about Gardner Minshew, but like if you had to kind of create a player, create a quarterback that could attack this Bengals defense like optimally, like is like, okay, high accuracy or throws the long ball well or is mobile and can get outside the pocket. Like what kind of quarterback would just devastate the Bengals defense as it sits now? 
You know, honestly, they're they're not terrible at, at containing the quarterback uh, in in general. Like in terms of like scramblers, guys that want to throw, they're pretty good at keeping guys. Uh, they're pretty disciplined in their pass rush. Uh, however, uh, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson over the last two weeks both burned them in the run game. Uh, that was more by design on the part of those offenses, though, uh, in, in my opinion. And, you know, they did a reasonable job uh, of keeping those guys in the pocket for what they are and compared to what, uh, to what other guys are doing to them. Um, but right now, this, you know, like I said, they're banged up at, at corner. Um, they got some young guys in there. Uh, you know who, who could rally, but but you know they're really hurting at the corner position. But all along, and for the last two years, uh, just like you were saying about Jacksonville, linebacker is an issue, uh, and covering tight ends and covering running backs has been an ongoing uh, issue for them. So, um, you know, it, I don't know if it, I don't know if this is really answering your question in terms of what type of quarterback, but I think the way to uh, to approach that. Uh, that defense is in the middle of the field and, it, you know, it's targeting, uh, targeting the seams, targeting, uh, you know, running backs and tight ends because they've had uh, a really difficult time uh, playing against those guys. Kind of striking in the middle of the field has been, has been the biggest issue. Uh, but now without Jackson and uh, Kirkpatrick uh, in this game, oof, I mean, <laughs> you know, those, uh, uh, those, those edge throws are going to be a problem for them too. Uh, you know, they're they're playing a lot of uh, you know they, they generally have their, their safety rock down. They're playing a lot of one high, uh, so those corners are going to be are going to be uh, whether they're in man or not. You know, basically in man on those deep vertical routes. And like I said about Minshew, I think he is really good at hitting some of those uh, some of those deep uh, you know deep outs, deep comebacks, uh, corner routes, things like that that are going to attack. Uh, the the corners in a cover three or a cover one look, so um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to be difficult. And yeah, that that's interesting. You say that I, I'm I'm actually really encouraged as a Jaguars fan to hear you say like yeah, single high. The cornerbacks are going to be playing like man the whole time, and I'm like sick. We have DJ Chark who quite literally is at the top of the receiving you know table in the NFL. He's he's a threat. You know, short field, middle field deep threat like so if if you're telling me that they you know because what the saints did last week is they doubled dj chark and then you know kept gardner in the pocket you can you know gardner can really only deal with one of those things and so if they keep gardner in the pocket fine as long as dj only has you know man-to-man defense to beat because gardner i mean he said either today or yesterday he said if DJ Chark is one-on-one, like, I'm going to throw it to him. I don't care what it looks like at the time. Like, I trust that guy. So that's actually really encouraging to hear. You know, Phillips is a guy that if it if the top couple guys got hurt and then Phillips is there, um, you know, we'd be in business because, uh, you know, that, that's the guy who's been waiting for an opportunity. Uh, a little bit smaller of a guy, but, uh, but, you know, speedy, hippie, uh, you know, going to be a good player in this league. Uh, but yeah, now they're they're getting down there a little bit. Uh, Darquez Denard, uh, he is uh, possibly playing this weekend. He has returned to practice. You know, they're saying they want to see him in practice before they commit to anything. Um, truly a nickel corner by trade. 
hit the market this off season, wanted, wanted money, wanted to play outside and ended up back in Cincinnati uh, and, you know, penciled in to play inside. Uh, so they've managed to replace him uh, with, with BW Webb uh, at the, at the nickel corner spot while he's been out at the beginning of the year. Uh, and, he could be, you know, he he's probably going to be an outside corner uh, would be my guess this weekend, uh, just based on uh, based on all the injuries, and there's a reason they play him inside. You know, he's he's not great on the outside, uh, so that would definitely cause me uh, some concern. And yeah, you know, with with how banged up they are, um, and and yeah, definitely the receiving talent in Jacksonville and the speed and and uh, Minshew's ability to hit some of those balls. Um, it's uh, it's a concern. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's definitely a concern. Well, and I'm I'm excited to forget the Saints game because they have a great secondary and they have a great defensive scheme and they're they're really coached well. So I'm I'm very excited to potentially forget that game and you know go on to to Cincinnati. And the point you made earlier about scheduling. oh, don't say on to Cincinnati. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, sorry. You made the point earlier that the schedule makers, you know, if they knew what they know now, this would have been a perfect get-right game for them. And, you know, in in a way I kind of agree with you, but with Jacksonville's history, like with, with how frequently I'm, I'm hurt by this team, on paper it looks like such a perfect get-right game. We're going against, you know, winless team. They're dead last in several offensive or defensive you know, statistical categories. It, on paper, it looks like the perfect get-right game. I, I wish it didn't look so perfect on paper because for some reason, it looking so perfect gives me incredible cause for concern. You know, one thing that worries me is uh, it, it feels like it's setting up for a Cedric Ubohe, uh revenge game. <laughs> uh, I, I, could, I could do without that. Uh, <laughs> It seems like uh, guys that leave always end up uh, end up coming back and, and, and hurting them at some point. And uh, he was a guy who had a very very rough go in Cincinnati. Uh, and well, you know, if if they bring him in all of those uh, extra linemen, uh, you know, tight end sets, and all of a sudden just start gashing the Bengals defense, it's going to be a major kick in the teeth. Well, I mean, that, the, those are the plays where he is in. I mean, he probably plays like ten, you know, offensive snaps a game, um, maybe less than that. But they are always, like, run-heavy uh, plays, and it always gives a boost to, to Leonard Fournette. So um, I, would, I would just I, – I would hate to see, you know, just a 93-yard run by Leonard Fournette, like, right behind Cedric. Like, I would just oh, – that would, that would just burn my heart. That, that would be ugly. So talking, talking on Fournette, um, you know, he does – uh, you know, I believe statistically he's above where, where he was last year. It kind of seems to be getting back, at least from a statistical standpoint, to where they were. Uh, overall, um, it, it seems like it's a little bit of feast of, in, or famine, uh, that, that it's mostly, you know, three-yard three, four yard gains. Uh, and when he breaks something, it's – it, to me, and and you know, I've 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 looked at four games. You know, you're you're looking at it every day. This is where you're living. Uh, but uh, when he breaks something, it's him. Like uh, the, I, I'm not seeing big holes. I'm seeing 
him getting skinny and spinning his way through something for 81 yards or uh, or breaking a tackle in the backfield and taking it 69 yards, usually getting walked down before he scores a long touchdown. Uh, but, I mean, definitely, you know, doing some freakish things um, to get those big plays. But it seems like if you can keep that under wraps, you're going to be okay. Because it didn't seem like it's like a consistent, like, oh, I can get, I can get seven yards here, I can get 12 yards. Uh, it seems like it's three, four, three, four, three, four, eighty. Um, is is that you know is that a decent assessment or, or where do you, where do you see that? How, how do you think Fournette's well, uh, looking right now? Yeah, it's it's not three, four, three. It's like negative one, one, zero, eighty-one. Like it, that would be it, nice. It, it, the, <laughs> the, the, the disparity the disparity is even crazier. Um, no, I mean I I, I joke uh, that Leonard Fournette is. Uh, he he's the perfect kind of personification of just a locomotive is he has a track and he should be going north south and if he ever you know deviates from that he's gonna you know he's gonna have some problems and he's he's not going to be going where he needs to go Leonard Fournette honestly in years past he has not been a good runner he hasn't had good vision he's he's thought that he had better agility or speed or you know, whatever, than he actually did. And I think he's learned over the last couple of years that, hey, NFL speed is, is different than, than SEC speed. And he's learning this season that his north-south running, hey, I hit this hole and I get three yards, that is a lot better than me trying to, like, make something happen and getting negative two this play. And so that's when you really see the Jaguars' run game get something going because you and I know that, Hey, a running back can be getting two, three yards um, consistently and it doesn't really look good on the box score, but it's doing something in that game into the psyche of the, of the defenders in that like it's building to something where if just one thing breaks, right, he's going to, he's going to go for 80. And so, I mean, that, that's what happened a couple weeks ago against the Denver Broncos. That's what happened against the Tennessee Titans. Um, that's just really who we have as a running back. So Leonard Fournette is learning he's not an east-west guy. Um, he's a north-south guy. I'm really encouraged by how Leonard, Leonard Fournette is running this year. I think he, can, if he continues to do this, he's, he's earned a contract extension, which would be unheard of just a few months ago. Like we were all like clamoring for him to just like get out of town for a day three pick and like just get him out of here. But you know, he, he, he's running really, really well. And the, the interior offensive line is just not very good. So if if the Bengals have good run penetrating interior defensive linemen, they can make uh, Sunday pretty tough for, uh, for the Jaguars. Well, that is one area where it is a pretty good matchup uh, with, with Geno Atkins and uh, uh, Andrew Billings, who's really taken off mm-hmm. this year. So I, I will take that. Hey, um, on, the, on the topic of Fournette, um, so it is a very big issue amongst Bengals fans. Uh, and John Ross came out and was having a great year, and now he's back on, on the injury list. Um, and, but, you know, up until those few weeks when he was killing it uh, and when he was basically their entire offense, um, there's been an ongoing chorus of 
we could have had Mahomes. Uh, John Ross was selected number nine. Mahomes went the very next pick uh, to the Chiefs. Uh, is there a similar refrain uh, in Jacksonville with Leonard Fournette uh, that they could have uh, taken Mahomes or, or Watson in that draft instead of Fournette? And just, is that a, is that a cross he has to bear? Uh, in, uh, you know, with that fan base. Yes, um, definitely. I mean. It's what we do. It's it's what Jaguars fans do with every you know first round pick. We always you know screenshot the Wikipedia article of like the five <laughs> or ten picks uh, directly after our pick, and we say, hey, look, eight All Pros and another Pro Bowl player, and we picked uh, Derek Harvey. Sick. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's the cross that Leonard Fournette has to bear, and even if uh, Fournette's doing well, he's not he's not top five pick well but I mean he's he's doing what he came here to do which is run the ball he's averaging you know four to five yards a carry Uh, good for him would I have rather had uh, Mahomes or Watson absolutely but this team had already committed to that hypothetical quarterback we talked about earlier named Blake (laughs) now like but what we also said before that is like there was a dark horse running back uh, in that draft that we were also calling for a white guy, Christian McCaffrey, that we were like, you know what? I feel like this guy from like Stanford could be really, really good. And of course he, you know, he, he went to the Panthers and, and he's going to win MVP this year. Um, but he was a guy that we were like, listen, the reality is we've committed to this, you know, awful quarterback, this, this potato under center, like let's get in Christian McCaffrey. Let's, let's see what happens. And we didn't go with either. We went with um, a guy that can't produce yards on his own, um, who needs a quarterback under center to run well, um, who isn't really great in the passing game, although he is now. Um, and so, you know, that unfortunately he's had like literal all pro players picked right around him. So he's always going to be compared to those guys. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny with McCaffrey too, because, I remember the big thing with him was, oh, he's going to get injured. And he never got injured in college. I mean, people were just looking at his size and looking at Fournette was bigger. Fournette was injured in college. Fournette had big injuries in college and missed a lot of time. Yeah. But McCaffrey, was, you know, because he's light, was a, it, it's insane, especially with the volume he's, uh, he had last year for the Panthers. Um, and, and, you know, to, to state it truly, because, uh, again, th- this thing – this thing always comes up. And, and number one, uh, you can't, uh, in my opinion, you can you can grade a draft, but you can't grade a, a roster based on your draft. So when when you're looking at, when you know, uh, the, the Bengals have, uh, you know, Drake or Patrick I was talking about before, um, he was a first-round player. And he's not what you want out of a first-round corner. Uh, but he's a very good second corner. He makes way too many mistakes that we all we all uh, remember. But he, you know, but he's a good corner in the NFL, uh, and you can't judge the pick after after the fact because the guy's in your roster. So it's like, yeah, you know, Fournette's worth extending. He's worth extending. Uh, doesn't mean he was ever worth a number four pick, but <laughs> just because that's true, you know, the, you know, those one of those things being true didn't, didn't mean both of them have to. So. Um, and I would say it's interesting to bring up McCaffrey because, to me, people say, well, the Bengals should have taken Mahomes. And if you look at that draft, everybody should have taken Mahomes, obviously. 
you know, and, and uh, you know, now you can say that about the Panthers, but really the Panthers were the only ones that should have felt good enough about their quarterback situation to not take McCombs at the time. Uh, and, and oh, yeah. you know, so McCaffrey was probably the only good pick in that draft before Mahomes, <laughs> retrospectively. <laughs> No, it was. I mean, the Panthers handled that beautifully. McCaffrey is a perfect pick for who they had because, I mean, what like Cam Newton at that point is, like, confirmed good. Like, pair him with this wild card who can, like, is a receiver, running back, you know, whatever, can, like, catch 200 passes, can get 3,000 all-purpose yards. Like, just, you know, have, have two freaks of nature behind center. Like, they, they played it perfectly. Yeah, and I and I was excited when they took Curtis Samuel to their who they're just now figuring out how to use. But um but yeah, that, that brought together some interesting possibilities too, is he was kind of a hybrid, you know, kind of a running back slash receiver at Ohio State. So um, you know, the, yeah, that brought up some interesting uh options as well. Um all right, so uh that's uh that's all the time we've got here. So big cat country. Uh any anything else they should be looking for you on? Any any uh Twitter handles or anywhere uh they can find your work no just you know bigcatcountry.com we're part of sb nation i think matthew you do work with cincyjungle.com uh, which is the you know we're under the same umbrella so bigcatcountry.com anything jaguars my personal handle is at ryan eats cake i love cake i love all sorts of cake so my handle is at ryan eats cake but yeah bigcatcountry.com uh find us this week as we uh write some preview pieces uh, for our game against the Bengals. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Big Cat Country, you're getting, you're getting Twitter uh, follows for Big Cat Country because it sounds like a country st- station. Uh, are, you, yes. are you getting Ohio State fans following, following Ryan Day on Twitter too? Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> one. One who had me and, and tweeted at me for about two months before I had the heart to tell her I am not the Ohio State head coach. And I, I thought it was pretty obvious by the handle at Ryan Eats Cake. I was like, I don't think the Ohio State head coach is going to have a handle like Ryan Eats Cake. Um, but yeah, he was a receivers yeah, coach. He was he was he was an offensive line coach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, come on, these guys. Yeah, these guys are not eating cake. Like, and um, and so yeah, so yeah, I had uh, I, I had some fun when that well because at every step Ryan you know Ryan Day Boston College Ryan Day is now with the. I think it was the 49ers under Chip Kelly. Okay, Ryan Day is now at Ohio State. And it was like, you know, Adam Schefter is literally tweeting out my first and last name, and I would get about 100 <laughs> ads. Like, you know, who, who are you? Who, who is this guy? Hey, can you make sure that you, you know, use so-and-so well? And I'm like, bro, that the receiver's coach over at – or the offensive coordinator over the 49ers doesn't have to handle Ryan Eats cake. You know, at least he's a good coach, though. I mean, you, you could have you could have ended up in the other spectrum of that. That would have been much worse. So, <laughs> but, yeah. This, all this right. Transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day has has actually been pretty good. All right. So to wrap up this week's show, we are going to do a two minute drill. All right, and uh, this is uh, the end of the game. All right, or near the end of the game, uh, Broncos and Jaguars in Week Four. Coming into this, the Broncos are down 17-23, to 23, looking to mount a comeback. Uh, and they get the ball back with 2 minutes and 54 seconds on the clock. 
after the Jags kick a field goal. Uh, so we're going to see some of the things we've already talked about and kind of alluded to uh, and how Flacco really moves the ball efficiently down the field on this play, uh, excuse me, on this on this drive, uh, really uh, work in the middle of the field. Uh, and that's something the Bengals can do too. The Bengals need to have some success on offense uh, and be able to effectively move the ball and score uh, and score in the red zone, uh, most importantly. Uh, but this is something that they, that they can do uh, and, and they can effectively do with, with Auden Tate, with Tyler Boyd, uh, with, you know, uh, Alex Erickson and some of those guys as well. Uh, so the first play, uh, it is uh, first and 10, obviously, uh, with two minutes and 54 seconds left in the game. The Broncos, following a touchback, have the ball on uh, their own 25. Uh, they came out in an empty set. All right. So they have trips to the right uh, and twins. All right. Two receivers to the left. So uh, the, uh, the Jaguars are in a, in a one deep look. Uh, and I've talked a little bit before about how you can be you can be in a bind, you know, defensively against uh, against an empty formation. So it limits what you can do. You know, the thing is, the Bengals haven't had great pass protection. So, uh, you know, in addition to causing holes uh, in the coverage, what empty can do is it, it limits a little bit what they can do in terms of a blitz. Sure, they can send a blitz, but if they do, it's going to be pretty obvious. You know, uh, Dalton's going to be able to see it uh, because, you know, they got to get wider. they got to put more players outside of the box to account for the five uh, split-out receivers. So that is a way to kind of help with the pass protection that if there is a blitz coming, at least you know, even though there's only five guys to block, at least you know it's coming, you can you can dish it off. And we'll kind of talk about that in just a second uh, as well. Uh, but uh, this play, all right, uh, they're going to run – a deep crosser uh, over the middle. And what happens really, it's, it's coming from the trip side. So it's the number two receiver on the three receiver side. All right. And, you know, just like I talked about earlier with the kickoff, we, we, we number from outside in. Uh, the number three receiver, that tightest receiver, who's kind of bunched uh, with the number two receiver, really close by, he kind of hitches up. And the number two receiver bends right off of uh, off of his butt, basically. So what that does is that linebacker sits. All right, the the nearest linebacker, he sits on that route. He doesn't drop off at all. The uh, slot corner, uh, possibly safety, whatever defensive back they have out there over the number two guy, he he widens out. You know, it's like a cover three uh, look here. So with that back, with the outside backer to that side sitting. Excuse me, the, the linebacker to that side sitting and the outside backer or invert player, nickel corner, whatever you call it, he's the outside linebacker scheme-wise or safety scheme-wise. Uh, with that guy working out and the linebacker sitting, that opens up space behind the linebacker. So they're able to take uh, Emmanuel Sanders and get him open, you know, and, and now the backside inside backer and the, and the free safety have to respond, and they're not able to get there on time. So that ends up being a gain of 16 yards. Again, this is a team that has vulnerability in the middle of the field. So that gets them a first down. Uh, and the next play is going to be uh, first and 10 from their 41-yard line with two minutes and 20 seconds to play. Uh, they come out in a trips formation with three receivers to Flacco's right, a single receiver to his left, and they've got uh, the back in the backfield is offset 
to the single receiver side. So the single receiver is Cortland Sutton. Now, the Jags, again, are in a one-high look, and their safety is cheated. He's playing over, really, like, directly over the number three receiver to the trip side. So he's not truly playing in the middle of the field. Uh, He's playing in between the receivers, which makes sense. It's smart. There's more of a threat over there. Uh, And what the Broncos do, that's really smart, too. They send Cortland Sutton on a skinny post, all right? So a post is is running vertically and then kind of cutting in at a 45-degree angle towards the middle of the field, all right, and keeping going vertically. A skinny post means it's going to be quite a 45-degree angle. You're going to head a little bit more upfield, and that's really smart here because now he's not running himself covered. So uh, into that into that safety who's lined up way on the other side of the field. So you know Sutton runs that he opens up uh, because the Broncos took their number three receiver and hitched him up over the middle of the field. That is occupying the linebacker for the Jaguars uh, and and creates uh, creates a great opening on that backside post for uh, Corton Sutton on the, on the skinny post on the backside. So great play. They gain 27 yards on the play. Uh, get across middle field. Uh, you know, Sutton wants to get him up to the line of scrimmage. They're not going to have enough time, though. They end up, uh, you know, letting it, letting it roll to the two-minute warning. So that gets us, uh, as I said, to the two-minute warning. Um, and it's first and ten. The Broncos have crossed midfield. Uh, and they come out really in a bunch look. Three receivers bunched to the right. They've got a single receiver who is also tight. Uh, to the left, and the back is offset to the bunch side. Uh, now, uh, I talked before about how the uh, how the defense is in a tough position, and it's hard for them to blitz uh, when when the offense comes out and empty. All right, uh, hard to pick up, but you know, hard to disguise as well. Uh, bunch is the opposite, right? They can bring players from anywhere because. Uh, you know, the Jaguars really, except for their safety, everybody's, you know, really close to the line of scrimmage uh, and really close to the quarterback uh, in a bunch in a bunch look. So, you know, it, it makes it tough because there's, there's basically 10 guys that could be coming uh, in a bunch formation. So that makes life a little bit difficult. Uh, the Broncos actually motion a guy across uh, that helps Flacco to see what's going on because they motion across. Uh, now it's a two-by-two two look. And uh, the, the Jags are bringing a pressure. You see they, um, they bring a player across uh, to cover the motion man. There's some communication issues. The safety's rocking. Which safety's rocking which way? They're, you know, they're a little messed up. You know, like, we, like we talked about earlier, the Ravens got a little messed up with their communication and coverage uh, due to motion for the Bengals. Uh, you know, there's a similar issue here with the Jags getting a little bit confused by the Broncos uh, as they come in motion, they do send a five-man pressure. There's a stunt. They're they're moving guys around. This is something that will be difficult for the Bengals to pick up. Uh, Flacco recognizes it and he gets rid of the ball real fast out to the flat. Now, here's what stinks though: the deep dig is wide open. I mean, there's nobody out there but the deep safety uh, because of those miscommunications. You know, Flacco's getting rid of the ball. He's being he's being smart. He's getting rid of the ball because he knows that pressure's coming, but he's not taking advantage of the miscommunication uh, and the fact that they've got a receiver, you know, really wide open there, uh, that number one receiver coming on that that dig route. So, 
ends up being a gain of two yards and they run out of bounds. So not a loss for the Broncos, but not really taking advantage. Uh, so those blitz situations, um, Dalton hadn't been very good at sitting in there and taking the hit and throwing an accurate ball, but man, does he need to, because uh, there's going to be opportunities like this for some, uh, for some big time, uh, you know, big time passes. Uh, and, and the Bengals need it. I mean, they need to be efficient. They need to be good and make, you know, they need Dalton uh, to be effective. They need great quarterback play in order to win because uh, they need to score. Uh, they need to help that defense out. So um, that brings up second and eight uh, with a minute 53. They end up running the ball for a gain in nine yards. So, you know, they've been up tempo. They've been uh, throwing the ball down the field, working the middle of the field. And just like we've seen with the Bengals, when they've gone into a two-minute mode, uh, the Broncos are able to run the ball effectively. They, they, uh, uh, they bring a lineman around uh, pulling, and he kicks out, actually. They're – they get up to the linebackers with a with a tight end and, and a you know real quick combo block. Uh, unfortunately, there was a hold, uh, and you know that that hold is actually on that on that tight end who got up there to say a linebacker. Uh, so ends up being a negative play for them. They get bumped back, and now it's second and thirteen uh, on the thirty five of the Jaguars. Um, the Jags now come out, and it looks like a one high to start with, but it, you know they really end up getting into a two high look. Uh, on the snap so something a little bit different from what they've been showing so far Uh, and in that sort of look what's open the middle of the field's open and that's where the Broncos are going to strike them Um, you know we've seen them hit in the middle of the field uh, you know with those with those digs to to, uh, one high look and they can certainly do it to a two high look and you know in in ways could be more open with a with a two high look as well so the Broncos are in shotgun they've got a uh, H-back and a receiver to the right-hand side, and they've got twins, two receivers to the left. Flacco is in the shotgun with a running back offset to his left. So uh, the H-back runs an out route, and really uh, Emmanuel Sanders is the receiver at the top of the, of the screen and on, uh, on, on the right-hand side for Flacco. Uh, he releases inside, uh and he gets a little bit of a um, of an opening on his man there, all right? Because you know what they're doing here uh, is a, is really a two man look. Uh, so there's a bit of a brush, a bit of a, bit of a pick there uh, because of the outcutting route by the tight end, uh, and it helps Sanders get open over the middle of the field, all right? Cover two, the help for that for that uh, deep at the back uh, for that coverage man is deep and outside, not to the middle. Sanders catches the ball and he's able to uh, rack it up, rack up those yards on the run after the catch uh, and gain 27 yards, setting them up uh, with first and goal on the eight yard line, minute 38 to play. Uh, And what do they do? They go back to something that they've already had some success with. Uh, They come out in a trips look, trips to the right, single receiver to the left. They put that guy tight. And they go back to that uh, to that backside skinny post. Cortland Sutton is the backside receiver. All right, you know once again they put the tight end across the middle, trying to draw attention to those linebackers, creating a one-on-one situation uh, for Sutton on the outside. All right, it's a it's a it's a single deep look uh, for the Jags. 
And that single deep man is way over by the trip side. Again, makes sense. But this is where that can come back to hurt him. This is good game plan. This is a good call, you know, offensively for the Broncos. So the Broncos did a really good job. And, you know, if you see, I don't, I don't know, if this game pops up on NFL Network in the next few days uh, leading up to the Bengals-Jaguars matchup, definitely want to check out, especially, you know, if it's the end of the game here, uh, you know, they're doing some really cool things. Um, and, you know, pretty basic, uh, but they're working in the middle of the field. Uh, the Jags have some really good corners. Uh, even with Ramsey out, they, they do a good job. Uh, out west, that is. Uh, they do a good job. Uh, on the outside, work in the middle of the field can pay some major dividends for the Bengals. The Bengals need to be effective offensively. This defense has been fighting. I mean, they're not good. Don't get me wrong. they got a lot of problems on defense. Uh both schematically and personnel-wise. But this this group has been fighting, and they've played pretty well at times. But they can't finish games. And a big part of that is all the three and outs. Uh, it's it's having, you know, having to go out on the field all the time. Um, so the Bengals need to be able to effectively move the ball and score uh, and give their defense a rest because I think this, game, this defense can fight through a game, uh, but they need the offense to score points too. Uh, they need the offense to score points. They need the offense to hold the ball and give them a break every once in a while. Um, so I think the Broncos gave the offense a good game plan for that. And that's why I focused on that. Uh, you know, we, we could talk about Gardner and Minshew. We could talk about Leonard Fournette. And I kind of touch on those guys and this Jaguars offense uh, earlier in the week. Uh, well, actually, it's coming out. It's depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, probably coming out about, about Friday or so uh, on uh, – Cincy Jungle, you can check out my preview. It'll cover all the aspects of the Jaguars, but really focusing here on their defense and how we can we can attack that defense and how they really should be doing it. Because the Bengals can do this, they can be efficient with it. It's going to take great quarterback play and some good play calling. Um, unfortunately, two things that have been a little bit tough to come by uh, as of late. So. Hopefully, uh, this is the week they turn it around. Uh, you know, going into uh, you know approaching the bye week, going into London week, big travel week, big you know kind of homecoming, going back to McVeigh for uh, for Zach Taylor. Uh, after this, you know, uh, let, let's not make it zero and seven. You know, let's let's see if the Bengals uh, can pull one out here and get the victory. Hopefully, we've got some good news coming back next week, and you know, this staff and this team has started to put something together. So um, again, I, I referenced a few of my, uh, my write-ups from this week on Cincy Jungle. Make sure you're checking out all the quality content on there. Uh, there's always some great, great stuff uh, from all the writers uh, on Cincy Jungle. Uh, if you are listening to the download, uh, you know, uh, and you want to get a clearer picture of things, check us out on YouTube. Uh, all the video content from this podcast is also available on YouTube. So you can see what I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. Uh, and if you are somebody who, uh, uh, who watches this on YouTube, uh, you can check out the download too. If you're feeling, uh, you know, a little, a little outed cause we didn't get into the mustache man or, or Fournette, uh, make sure you check that out. But, um, again, back here every Thursday night, uh, this sucker's going live all season long. See you then. Yeah, we coming for with sours. Yeah, we coming for with sours. Yeah, we coming for.